number 13. We'll read verse number 5 and then skip over to verse number 8. It reads like this, examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know you not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except you be reprobates. And then in verse 8, for we can do nothing against the truth, but for the truth. Amen. I, I want to preach on uh, taking inventory of our life. We, we've found ourselves at the end of 2023. And if you've ever worked for a business or a company, they always, at the end of the year, take inventory, don't they? Take inventory of their stock, of their product, before they begin the the new year, and God just speaking to me in prayer, and he said, you've made it to the end of the year. You need to take inventory of your life and start planning ahead for what I want to do in you, for you, and through you in this new year. So I, I want to preach to you on taking inventory of our life. Father, we thank you for your word. I pray that you'll speak to our heart by your spirit, through your word. Give us ears to hear, a heart of understanding. God that's ready to receive with meekness the engrafted word of God is able to make us wise unto salvation. I pray, God, through your word and by your spirit, you'll touch every heart, you'll speak to every life, and that you'll meet every need. God, we're going to come and gather at the conclusion of this message around the altar. We're going to believe you, O oh God, to do a work in our heart and in our life. When we take inventory, Lord, if there's something there, that, that don't need to be, Lord, we're going to remove it. God, if there are things there that we're missing, we're going to pray and ask you that you'll fill our hearts with those essential needs that we must have to do your will. We ask you for it in Jesus' name. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. If you love the Lord, would you say amen? amen. <clears throat> when we read uh, this epistle, you have to understand that Paul's authority as an apostle had been questioned by some in the Corinthian church. So in the last four chapters, he writes to the church in Corinth in a way to vindicate the authority that's been given unto him as an apostle by God. He began by stating that it was Christ who gave him his authority. He followed by saying, you've examined me requiring proof of my authority in Christ. But my message to you is examine yourself. And I believe that that's what God would say to us tonight, to have us to do the very same thing. He said that we should examine ourselves to see whether or not we are in the faith. Does Jesus Christ truly live in us? Is he truly Indeed, the Lord of our lives. In this spiritual evaluation, I want us to look at three aspects tonight in our mind. Number one, a, a personal exam, examination. There in verse five, examine yourselves. And then, not only a personal examination, but a personal demonstration. He said, prove your own self. And then in the same verse, in verse number five, a personal realization. 
That is where he said, know your own selves. So I, I want us first to talk about where he spoke to him in verse 5 about personal examination. In your personal faith and testimony, can you honestly say you're taking your own inventory? I'm not taking inventory of you. I'm taking inventory of me. And so you got to take inventory of what's in your own heart. So in your, in your personal faith and testimony, can you honestly say to yourself, I know that Jesus lives in me. Would your faith pass the test of trial or scrutiny? If you were charged with being a Christian, would there be any proof that you were one? Amen. Is your faith, when you examine whether or not you are in the faith or not, is your faith a sound faith? In 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 17, and if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, ye are yet in your sin. For faith to be sound, it must reside in a risen Savior. We don't worship a, a dead God. We worship a risen Savior. He's not a graven image. He's not a rock, a totem pole. He's not a, you know, a, a far off star or a distant planet. The Egyptians worship the Nile River. In, in India, the, the Hindus, they have over one billion gods. And it's just about anything or everything that you could imagine. That's right. they, they pay homage to that and all of it is vain. All of it uh, is dead religion. None of those gods are alive, speaking, active, moving, working. It's all vanity. It's all vain. But the God we serve is alive. Meaning he sees, he hears, he is moving, he is working. God is on, do you hear the testimonies tonight? God is on the move. God is actively working in the hearts and the lives of his people. Amen. For faith to be sound, it has to reside in a risen Christ. Uh, I, I was reminded of a friend of mine in Jacksonville. His son convinced himself that there was no God and, you know, renounced his faith in God and declared that he was an atheist. And the reason he had done that is he had watched people talk and backbite and hurt one another in church and it hurt his parents and it hurt him. So he just uh, renounced his faith and his dad told me, he said, I need you to pray. Help me pray for my son to let him know that this life includes hurt. This life includes, you know, pain and misery and being done wrong, but that God is a healer and that God is a God of renewal and restoration. He's a God that brings joy where there's pain and he's a God that won't let you down when others disappoint you. 
He's a God that won't leave you or forsake you yes. when others walk away. I, I, he, he's got his eyes on people. And I need him to get his eyes on God. And, and you know, to, for a praise report, it, it was uh, sometime last year when, when this all took place and uh, I, I was able to rejoice when his dad called me and said, man, thank you. My son's come back home. He prayed and fasted and believed God and he said he came to church with us and the Spirit of God got to moving. He made his way down to that altar and he said he felt God touch him in his heart and in his life. Amen. This living Savior will make himself real to you. To be fundamentally sound in faith, we must believe in a risen Savior, not just historically, but presently. Yeah. He is alive presently, currently, and he is actively working and moving. In Romans 5 and 10, for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. When you were the enemy of God, Christ died in your place. You were saved by the death of the Son of God, now being reconciled unto God, no longer the enemy of God, but a child of God. You are saved by the life of Jesus Christ moving, working in you, for you, and through you. You have to have faith in what was done at Calvary, but you've got to walk and live in an active faith that the Christ that died for you rose again, and tonight he's at work in my heart and in my life. Amen. Not only should we have a sound faith, but it has to be a saving faith. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 and 2, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved. Ephesians 2 and 8 says, For by grace are ye saved through faith. This living Savior then transforms your life at salvation. 2 Corinthians 5 and 17, If any man, be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things are become new. It's the best answer to sin God has is repentance and born-again salvation. It's the best answer to sin that there is. I know there's a, a, a lot of other ways that man uses to try to turn people away from sin. But I want to tell you, when a man is born again, a woman is born again, he takes what you at one time loved, and that born again man, that new creature, hates that because it's a sin against God. Amen. He changed my heart. He changed my mind. He changed my desire. He changed my love and my affection. He changed my allegiance, my, lo my, my, my loyalties. And what used to bind me has no hold on me. What I used to care nothing for, I'm now in love with. Amen. The Bible says, speaking to that new man, I am more than a conqueror through him. Paul speaking about that new man, I can 
do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Not, he said about the new man, it is not I that liveth, but it's Christ that lives in me. Amen. That is a saving faith. Not only must we have a sound faith and a saving faith, but we also have to have a steadfast faith. The word steadfast means, uh, you know, that something is against you. Steadfast means you got to keep on keeping on. So I want to tell you, you're saved now, but all hell is still against you. You're saved now, but the devil's going to keep pounding on you. You're saved now, but he still wants to destroy your life and your family. You're saved now, and he's not going to stop, so I'm not going to stop. Amen. That's a steadfast faith. In 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 13, watch ye. Stand fast in the faith. Quit you like men. Be strong. A faith that is vigilant, valiant, and victorious. Not like one who has conviction one moment, but is moved by every ebb and flow and is torn to shreds by every trial of life that comes their way. You are going to battle. You are going to have trouble. You are going to, you know, be, be made to face uh, adversity. You are going to feel hurt. You are going to experience pain. None of that means uh, that God's word goes null and void. None of that changes uh, the word of God. Heaven and earth uh, shall pass away. Everything in this world is fleeting, is changing. The ebb and flow is going to be different from one day, one week, one month, one year to another. He said, but my word shall never pass away. Nothing you face in life is going to change the fact that God is the same. Jesus Christ the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. If he loved you at Calvary, he loves you tonight. He loved you when everything was going good in your life. He loved you when all hell is against you. Amen. None of that changes. You have to have a steadfast faith that when everything's going wrong, you have to still look yourself in the mirror and say, I'm going to serve God anyhow. Nobody, your buddy that was coming to church with you, doing Bible study with you, serving the Lord with you, they've gone the other way. They're not serving God anymore. As for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. I'm not in this for you. I'm not in this because of you. I'm in this for Christ. I'm in this because of him. And if I'm for him, then I'm for you. If I love him, my relationship will be that I love you. If I don't quit serving him, neither will I quit serving you. But you can't put the card in front, uh, uh, ahead of the ox. You can't get it mixed up. I'm not in this to preach. I preach because I'm in this. I'm not in this trying to pat men on the back so that I can get from them. I can attain favor. I can attain wealth or popularity. Whatever I attain is because of him or through him. 
It has to be a steadfast faith because uh, men are going to quit. Uh, people are going to talk about you. People are going to hurt you. People you love are going to quit and give up. Uh, there are going to be a million reasons for you to take the exit ramp or to make a U-turn, but your faith has to be steadfast. A faith that's vigilant, valiant, and victorious. Amen. Jephthah, I quote him often. He made this statement, and I, I, I re rehearse it and recite it to myself often. I've told other preachers, as they call me and they're discouraged. Preachers call each other just like you call each other. We get discouraged. We beat our head against the, the same brick wall spiritually and never see it moved. Uh, what we're praying about doesn't happen. Every devil in hell's against that man of God. If he can defeat him, he's got an inroad to that church. Uh, and I've told a many a preacher what Jephthah said. Uh, I've opened my mouth uh, and I cannot go back. That's yeah. what he said. He made a vow to God. He said, Lord, if you'll do this for me, you'll give me victory. He said, the first thing I see when I get back home, I'll, I'll sacrifice it uh, unto you. And God gave him victory and the first uh, thing he saw when he got back home was his baby girl running down the road to greet him. And he said, oh, you've broken my heart, baby. She said, what, what do you mean, Dad? He said, I've opened my mouth and I cannot go back. He gave that girl to serve the Lord in the temple. She was never gonna know a husband, never gonna have grandchildren. Oh, that was gonna take away or deprive from him. She patted him on the back and said, fulfill your oath, Dad. Hey, we gotta live for God. I wanna tell you, 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 you'll make statements, uh, you'll make vows, uh, you'll shout the victory when everything's going right. Uh, I want to tell you when nobody's for you and all the hell's against you and nothing is seemingly going your way and everything you touch don't turn to gold but it seems to rust and wither and fade away. That's when you have to look yourself in the mirror and say, I've opened my mouth and I can't go back on my word. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Amen. Thank God. There's a lot that ain't been that hasn't gone my way in life. I want to tell you the Bible said of God before us. Who can be against us? Hallelujah to God. Don't judge me. I may look broke down on the side of the road with a flat tire or in a, in a ditch wrapped around a tree. But don't judge me because my race ain't finished yet. I ain't made it home yet. Only way I'll be defeated is if I don't get back in the race. The only way Satan will defeat me is if I lay down and quit and say, I can't do it. I'm not doing it anymore. But I have decided to follow Jesus. God's not quitting on me. And I ain't quitting on him. Ecclesiastes 5 and verse 5. Better is it that thou shouldest never vow that thou shouldest vow and not pay. That's true with your spouse and that's true with God. Amen. Revelation 
the Lord said to the, he said to the writer, but he said to you and I, be thou faithful unto death, and I will give unto thee a crown of life. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> yeah. Amen. I've often told this story, the man that won our family to the Lord with a royal drum. His wife had a massive stroke. They were godly people, very godly people. And uh, he was 90 or 91. I forget what age she was when she had the stroke, but it was a, debil a totally debilitating stroke. She was, uh, you know, bound to the bed, couldn't do anything for herself. And, of course, he being in his 90s was too feeble to, to help her with all the needs, and she was going to have to be in a nursing home. His son and daughter lived over in Montrose, the Fairhope area. And uh, they said, Dad, we're going to, they lived out in Westmobile. They said, Dad, we need to move Mom over here so that we can put her in a home and we can, she'll be close to us and we can take care of her. And he said, well, if she goes in, I'm, I'm going to go in with her. We ain't never been apart in all of our years of being married, and I'm going in with her. In order to do that, they had to sell everything. They had to sell his car, he had to sell his house. They'd give all their money to the nursing home. That's how that works. And uh, he he was weeping one evening. He said, well, I got to get rid of my car. My, they lived in a mobile home, our mobile home. and All of our money's going to the nursing home. That's where we're going to be. And he said, uh, this Sunday night be my last Sunday night in church with you. Because we were way out past Westmobile, right on the Mississippi line. They were going to be in Baldwin County. So it's going to be my last Sunday night. He said, can I ride to church with you? He said, uh, I know you go early and pray. And he said, I, I, want to, I want to get there an hour early and pray with you. He said, if I'm going, if I'm going to live out the rest of my life in a nursing home, I got, to, I got to hear from heaven. I said, yes, sir, you can go. We got there an hour before service. I come on up to the altar and pray. And he knelt on the front pew. <clears throat> around church time, people started flooding in. I, I heard him kind of stirring. And he got up and had a handkerchief and blew his nose. And I knew he was through praying. I walked over there. I said, Brother Drum, did, did you hear from God? He said, I did. I said, do you mind telling me what God said to you? He said, not at all. He said, the Lord, said unto me, be thou faithful unto death, and I will give unto thee a crown of life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. He wiped tears from his eyes and he said, I guess there's some doctors and some nurses and some custodians in a nursing home that need to know Jesus before I go home. Thank God. He said, I won't get the minister out here or on the streets anymore. So God's putting me in there. And I'll be telling somebody about Jesus right up to the day I die. Amen. It has to be a steadfast faith. Secondly, we take spiritual inventory of our life by demonstration. In verse five, he said, not only examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith, but he said, prove 
your own selves. If personal examination proves that there is a sound faith that is saving and steadfast, then there must also be a demonstration of that faith. Paul told them throughout his epistles <clears throat> to them as to how this faith should be demonstrated. Paul shows throughout this whole letter to the church in Corinth that our faith is something practical as well as dynamic, meaning it expresses itself through a life of prayer. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 4, he said, every man prayeth. In verse 5, he said, every woman that prayeth. He dealt so intensely with them on prayer as to discuss their apparel in prayer, meaning not only how they prayed, but what they even wore when they prayed. Does your faith show itself in a ministry of personal and public prayer? Does your faith show itself in a ministry of, of personal and public prayer? Personal prayer is you need a personal time of private devotion where you seek God for your life and for yourself and for your family and for whatever ministry God's called you to. You do that in private. And then there also is a ministry of public prayer. My pastor always told me, being a lay preacher in the church, I first got saved. God filled me and called me to preach. He'd give the altar call. I'd be moved. I'd come down, pile into the altar, and weep and cry and pray and seek God. He called me off to the side one day. I need to talk to you. And I said, sure. He said, if you're going to preach, he said, you need to do your praying before you get here. He said, because when I give the altar call, I need you help me pray for people in the altar. You're a minister. I need you to help me pray for other people in the altar. And so I said, all right then. And it wasn't enough for me to just go to church. I need to get there and pray, have my altar service before everybody else had theirs. I got four or five amens out of that. Had my altar service before everybody else had theirs. And then when the altar service was going on, I was praying for other people. It wasn't an altar service. Well, I'm, I'm prayed up. Everything's good with me. He's not talking about me preaching. Everything's all right between me and God. I'm sitting right here. No, no. That's setting a bad example. I'm going to sit here. Well, if you sit here, you're going to set the wrong example. I'm the example God wants me to set, I am prayed through in private. Everything is good between me and the Lord. But when I come to church and there's 15 or 20 people in here that need to pray, I'm going to lead the way. This is where we come when we got troubles in our life. This is where we come to thank God who brought us through our troubles. 
This is where we come when things are good. This is where we come when things are bad. This is the whole reason I come to church to talk to God and for him to talk to me. Thank you, Lord. There is a public ministry of prayer. Is it praying as an example? I come to the altar. I'm making it easy for other people to come to the altar. Had a man years ago. He said, you know what the hardest thing for me the first time I come to Bible Way was? I said, no, sir. He said, well, number one, when I walked through the door, I felt the presence of God. He said, it pierced my heart with conviction. He said, number two, I felt like when you were preaching, you were preaching directly at me. And he said, number three, and this was the worst one, when you gave the altar call, everybody went to the altar and left me by myself. He said, and I was sitting in that pew all by myself, thinking everybody's going to see me as the one who won't pray. He said, I told my wife on the way home, I felt off because she came to the altar. She got saved before he did, and she came to the altar. He said, I felt off sitting in that pew by myself. She said, well, why didn't you move? He said, I don't know. He said, but the next time I go back in that church, I guarantee I ain't going to be the only one sitting in the pew. You know what it did? The public ministry of everybody praying made him. Not want, not want to be the only one who wasn't praying. Right, right. <laughs> you know what pressure is, don't you? You go to the wrong place. Everybody's doing the wrong thing. And you're the only one there not doing what they're doing. You're pressured to do what they're doing because they're all doing it. You don't think that works? The opposite in church? Oh, yeah. I dare you to go to church with me. I dare you to let that pastor preach the word of God to you. I dare you to try to sit through that altar call when everybody in the house is down there, hands up, tears flowing, and the Holy Ghost working, and you try to say to me the only one that don't pray. It, 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 it works. It works. There's a personal prayer life, and there's also should be a public prayer life. Amen. You, you ask yourself this question. Do I pray at home? Do you move into the altar in response to the word of God that's preached? Do you attend the prayer meeting on a regular basis? It expresses itself in a life not only a, a personal and public prayer, but also in a life of fellowship with other believers. 1 Corinthians 1 and 9, God is faithful. By whom ye were called under the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. We're in fellowship with Christ. Matthew 18 and 24, where two or three of you are gathered together in my name. There am I in the midst of them. 
and we're in fellowship with one another. 1 Corinthians 5 and 4, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when ye are gathered together. He is emphasizing that if your faith is sound, saving, steadfast, it will show in your prayer life and you will often be found in fellowship with God and with one another. Saving faith, sound faith is a faith that is actively demonstrated in the life of the believer. It just makes common sense that if somebody that loves God is not in the house of God, something's wrong. They're out of town. They're at work. They're sick in their body or something is going wrong. Sweetest moments in our lives are the ones that we share with others. Come on. Come on. It will express itself in a life of giving. In his two epistles to the church in Corinth, he spake very precisely about giving. Giving is an expression of sound, saving, Steadfast faith, sacrificial giving. God loves a cheerful giver. You know what the word cheerful means? Hilarious. <laughs> People that are so excited about giving something to God. It is a hilarious, a hysterical joy. Oh, you got to pry that offering out of my hand. <laughs> ah. ah, there it is. I hate to give it, but ah. no cheerful heart. I hear these girls testify of what God's done for them. Some of us forget where we was. Some of us forget how miserable and how wretched our lives were when God found us. Hallelujah. Everything I got, I owe to him. Hallelujah. There are going to be some times when I need God to give to me. The Bible said it's more blessed to give than to receive. See, because if I'm a giver, that means God's been good to me. and I got something to give. If I need to always be able to receive an end, it means that things haven't gone very well in my life. Amen. He loves a cheerful giver. I adore my grandkids, all of them, every one of them. When I'm close to them, I want to be a hilarious giver. Just thrills my heart to be able to give to them babies. You get it? I give to those babies because I love them. I love them unconditionally. I give them all of my love. They go home with red chap cheeks. I get all their sugar. I do. I give them comfort. If their little hearts seem to be broke, I snatch them up, love on them, pet them, baby them, 
spoil them. I give them food if they get hungry. Y'all hungry? If I can't fix it, we'll go to, we'll go to a restaurant and we're going to get something to eat. Amen. I give them provision if they need it. All in those stockings hanging across the front. I'm putting something in it. I'll give them shelter if that's what they need. And I'm glad to do it. I see them in need. I got to feed them babies again. That ain't the way I act at all. If I, if I know they're hungry, it just brings joy to my heart to get to feed them. Are we that way with God? Does our faith express itself in cheerful giving? The tenth, that is the tithe, he demands. The offering, he deserves. It will express itself in a life, not only of cheerful giving, not only of private and public prayer, but also in a life of witnessing. 2 Corinthians 5 and 20, now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. Soul winning, personal evangelism, Corporate evangelism. He said, go into all the world. He said, ye shall be witnesses unto me. He said in 1 Corinthians 9 and 22, I made all things to all men that I by all means might save some. Amen. Have you led anybody to Christ since you? have been saved? That's a good question. It'd be a good question to ask ourselves probably every week. Have I led anybody to Jesus this week? We're taking inventory, aren't we? If no, then why? Maybe it's simply because I haven't told anybody how good Jesus has been to me this week. Somebody out there is miserable. Somebody out there is sick and dying. Somebody out there is in a broken home. Somebody out there, all their world is turned upside down. They're hurting, broken, and don't know where to go or what to do. They need somebody to tell them that there is hope and his name is Jesus. Amen. 1 Corinthians 3 and 9, for we are laborers together with God. That's corporate evangelism, outreach. Third, and I'm closing with this. <clears throat> Taking inventory of our life should also come by personal realization. In verse 5, he said, Know ye not your own self. He says, you cannot examine and demonstrate faith without knowing two things. Number one, you're, you are a committed Christian. And number two, you're not a counterfeit. I'm committed and there's nothing fake. I was talking to another <clears throat> 
former pastor the other night of the week. We were talking about a certain ministry. It's proven not to be a truthful one. I said there was a time when that person's ministry was at its height. Everybody was used them and they were the hottest thing going. By way of a speaker that you could book, it's going to bring a crowd, it's going to have those high services where everybody's praising and worshiping and shouting. And everybody's going to say what a great meeting it was. I, try, I tried several times to book that preacher. And every time, he would just give me the runaround. And so I went to the Lord in prayer is what I should have done first. But I went to the Lord in prayer out of frustration. And I said, Lord, why won't they come preach for me? My church must not be big enough. We must not be good enough. I'm not going to, you know, grow their ministry. They're not going to be any more well-known or famous by preaching for me, I can promise you. Maybe I don't give big enough offering. I don't know what, I'm just whining to the Lord. And God said to me, has it ever occurred to you? I don't want them preaching for you. I don't want them in your pulpit. He said, if you'd asked me that before you ever tried calling them the first five times, I would have told you. I made a covenant with God that day after I repented. I said, Lord, I'll never, nobody will ever preach it by the way again that you don't speak to my heart and say, this is who I want. Through a long list of circumstances and the way things work out and they show themselves. The Bible said your sins will find you out. I've looked backwards in time and said, Lord, you protected me. Even when I was whining, thinking somebody was doing me wrong, you were protecting me. And this is why I say, if you'll just be true to God, if you'll be pure in your motive, pure in your heart and in your intention, I ain't in this to get popular. I ain't in this to the first church that offers me a bigger parsonage or a bigger salary, I'm gone. I, I, I want the will of God for my life. Yes. Yes. I, I can't tell you through the years, and I'm not boasting on myself, And but out there evangelizing, 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 but also loving missions that instead of raking up all them offerings and buying and getting what I wanted, I'd take every one of them offerings and save them up. And that's, that's, what, that's the way I would fund my mission trips. Pure in your motive. I ain't in this to get anything out of it. God, it's, you've done so much for me. Whatever, whatever I can, whatever you want me to do, however I can scratch and claw and scrape 
to make sure that I'm in the right place at the right time doing the right thing. And that's what I want to be doing. The Bible said when you do that, you're laying up treasures in heaven. You're committed. You're not a counterfeit. Verse 8 says, so we can resist, say, we can resist truth, and it is still truth. Verse 8, for we can do nothing against the truth, but for the truth. What it's saying is you can't resist the truth and change it or stop it. You can't do Anything against the truth, it's still going to be true. You can slam it, slander it, but it's still going to be true. You can't do anything against it, but oh, what you can do for it. <laughs> we can do nothing against the truth, but oh, what we can do for the truth. Hallelujah. That's committed, not a counterfeit. What are you doing this for? Why are you even having church on Wednesday night? I know a lot of pastors, bless their heart. We got, I ain't against whatever people want to do, small groups, whatever helps, whatever works, whatever reaches people, all of that. But hey, I just know flesh. It's easy only to preach once a week. Why would I ever want to preach Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night? Why in the world would I punish myself by preaching revivals and camp meetings and all these extra services? Man, you are crazy. You're killing yourself. No, I ain't. I'm having the time of my life. This is what he saved me for. This is my whole reason for living. If I weren't doing this, I'd be wasting it on myself. Hallelujah. We can do nothing against the truth, but we can do a whole lot for it. God's given us. God's given us the truth. It's up to us. Take personal inventory. There's some things that Maybe I'm not doing that I need to start doing. Maybe there's some things I've been doing that I need to stop doing. Amen. To take spiritual inventory of my life and see whether or not that I'm in the faith or not. Maybe I am. I'm born again, but I've just not been doing a good job demonstrating that with my prayer life, with my giving, or with my personal witness or evangelism. But God, I came to change that tonight. I plan to do something about it. Hallelujah to God. I haven't done anything to try to stop or to hinder the truth. Just ain't done a whole lot to help it. That's gonna stop tonight. Amen, I'm here, Lord, with the intention to serve you with my whole heart. Would you meet me in this altar tonight? Amen. Let's seek the Lord together. Sister Megan, Riley, I want to come help us tonight. <coughs>